Hi, my friends. Welcome to maybe our first ever magic moment on the Open House podcast. And the truth is, there are so many magic moments all over the back catalogue. But who am I to tell you what's a magic moment? Because everyone takes different value from different things because we're all different. We all face different challenges and we've all gone through different things. But despite that, I think one of the most revolutionary things has been understanding how many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people out there struggle with an anxious attachment style. Every time I go viral, I'd say nine times out of 10, it's about the anxious attachment style. The top performing episodes on our back catalogue, they are all related to the anxious attachment. And just to put that into context, there are a hundred thousand plus people like you that have sat here and listened to these open house episodes on the anxious attachment style. So if you are listening to this, just know you are not alone. This is a magic moment where we have condensed everything to remind you that your anxious attachment style started so long before you were, to remind you that your anxious attachment style is not in your head. It is not your fault. And yes, while it can define your life, the truth is healing your anxious attachment style starts with an awareness in your mind, but ultimately through healing your body and your nervous system. If you're still on this journey, if you're in those pain points when everything seems to fly out of control and you want to text them a hundred times, you want to call them, it feels like your chest is tight, you can't handle it, I want you to head over to the ultimate guide that Dr. Terry and I put together. It's full of diagrams, it's full of drawings to help you understand the cycle, where the protest happens, where the dysregulation happens, where the trigger happens. And it really, really helps to put all of this into a visual context. So all of that is linked in your... So all of that is linked in the show notes. But most of all, before we get into this, I want to share that healing is possible. Now, I used to be floored by my anxious attachment style. My chest would be tight. I'd be online. I'd be wanting them to check in every 15 minutes. Okay, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I'd want to know where they were, if they were out with the boys, what were they doing? Who are you with? What time are you coming home? You said you were coming home at two. It's three. You're not here. I'd be awake. I'd be having a meltdown. The next day, we'd probably have a fight because I was like, if you could just check in every 30 minutes, then this wouldn't happen, John. Okay, I've literally never dated anyone called John, but you get, you get the gist. It was stressful. It was not a nice way to live. And now I understand that that's because my body was literally in danger mode. It was living in fear. In those moments, I was literally going through like an amygdala hijack. Like my whole body was like danger, 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 pumping out stress hormones. They were flooding around my body, impacting my heart rate, impacting my organs, like impacting every single part of me, even though at that point I felt like it was only happening in my mind. So now I've started to understand the biology of an anxious attachment style. I've started to understand like, of course, that is not a nice way to live. But what I've also learned is that our body can heal. If people's cells in their body can heal from cancer, then I think that is just a small glimpse into the power that the body can have to change our cellular state. And what Sarah has taught me is that we can change the state of our nervous system. We can change how our body reacts to a trigger and we can ultimately rewire our brain, our input mechanisms, our neuroperception So we do not perceive the things that we used to perceive as being triggering and fearful the same way. And I want to tell you that right now I'm in a long distance relationship. I'm actually recording this in Tulum. I'm back in Mexico. But the last two weeks I've been in London. 
And I am so proud of myself because through the work I've done with Terry, with Sarah, with nervous system regulation, with breathwork practitioners, I truly believe that I have healed this anxious attachment style more than I have ever thought would be possible. Because last week, my boyfriend, he said to me, I was just going to bed. There's a six hour time difference. It was like 11 p.m. And before I went to sleep, I said to him, you know, how's your day going? What are you doing tonight? What have you got on the agenda? And he said that he was going to go out for dinner with a friend. Now she's a female friend. I know her. She's great. I really, really like her. So I said, amazing. Have a great time. I'm going to go to sleep. And he said, I'll text you when I get home. Now, my boyfriend has a superpower. And that superpower is that he can fall asleep in 0.25 seconds. We can literally be having a conversation and 0.5 seconds later, he's asleep. When we first started dating, I thought he was joking. Like I honestly thought he was doing it to be funny, but he wasn't being funny. That is just him. So I have learned that sometimes he does not text me when he gets home because he physically is basically narcoleptic and lies horizontal and then he's asleep. And so I guess that's what's happened. And so I woke up the next morning. He hadn't texted me. He hadn't texted me. And literally nothing happened. I just thought, oh, hope he got home safely. Did I check his location? No. I literally just thought, I'll talk to him when he wakes up. And I got up and I got on with my day. And I never thought about it ever again. And I just wanted to share that because... The old me, probably even at the beginning of our relationship, wouldn't have felt like that. And yes, being in a healthy, stable partnership is very, very healing. And I do truly believe that there are some things that you can't heal on your own. But what I know is that you can get 90% of the way there on your own. And I am the proof of that. The proof that if you approach this by understanding consciously what is going on in your head, understanding the anxious attachment cycle, understanding the diagrams, being like, okay, I'm here right now. Understanding what wound they have triggered. Understanding what that trigger has done in your body. Understanding how you are wired to handle that trigger. How you are wired to survive. How you are wired to try and make everything feel better when everything feels shit. Then that is the first part of the puzzle to start to take a step forward. So if that's you, if you're struggling, if you're thinking this is something I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life, I want you to know that that is not true but understanding what is going on is the first part of the problem. So in today's magic moment, I just want to remind you of all of those things that we first spoke about over a year ago. We talk about the origins of the anxious attachment style and the wild adventures that we were going through in babyhood that we probably don't even remember today. We talk about neuroception and and basically how we actually have this skill of scanning for danger that we're all born with. But if you're anxiously attached, it's just on a little bit too much. And that is why it can be so frustrating. We talk about how our caregivers are really like the rulers of our neurobiology and that truthfully they laid the foundation of this. And Sarah reminds us of the roller coaster of nervous system dysregulation and how healing our nervous system dysregulation is the foundational piece of healing our anxious attachment style. We talk about breathing, which is as I was actually editing this episode, I was thinking, wow, like I don't consciously think about this enough. And I was like on the airplane doing these like crazy deep breaths and trying to slow my breathing, not because I was anxious, but just because I was like, I need to be more present with my breath because being more present with my breath is the key to being more present in life and in my relationship. And you guys might remember that when I first moved to Tulum 
like over a year ago now, I kept getting told by people that I didn't breathe properly. I was like, what do you mean I don't breathe properly? Like I'm here, I'm alive, I'm kicking, I can run, star jump, pole vault, weight lift. I, I literally can't pole vault. I have no idea why I said I can do that. But you know what I mean? I can do everything. Like I can breathe. And what I realized is, yeah, sure, I can breathe, but I'm not breathing properly. And what I realized was I couldn't take a full, deep breath into my lungs. First of all, my dear friend Rafi, who's a yoga teacher, he told me that when I was doing yoga, I wasn't breathing in properly, even though like, of course I was, or I thought I was. And then my now boyfriend, when we were first dating, he would like put his hand on my chest and he would say like, you don't breathe properly. You know, you're not bringing the air. You're not, you're not breathing properly and in a regulated manner. So yeah, that was just another reminder to me as I was editing this, like the breath is important. Do I breathe properly? Do I take big, deep, filling my lungs up with oxygen breaths? I mean, on an airplane, you're probably not filling it up with a lot of oxygen. You're probably filling it up with, I actually don't even want to know how many things are swirling around that cabin. But you know, you know, my point stands. The episode even reminded me, calm, center, and remember the breathing. So we talk about all of that. We talk about the stress-fueled loops. We talk about self-soothing. And we also talk about things that people don't talk about. How mineral and nutrient deficiencies can lead to your anxious attachment style being exacerbated. We talk about trauma and shaking and so much more. I have condensed the best parts of this episode that was released probably like a year ago now. So if you've already listened to it, I think re-listening is going to be equally as important because it's ultimately a totally different episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Lilybod. Keep listening for your code to get 30% off the entire collection by being a listener of Open House wherever you are based in the world. Lilybod is an Australian designed activewear brand that I've been wearing since 2015, so coming up for nearly a decade. It's dynamic, modern and seriously high quality. And when I tell you that the pieces from 2015 that I still own still look new, I can guarantee that they work for everything and everyone. And I have 100% faith in this brand. From your healing girl walk to your hit class, from weight training to Pilates, picking the kids up from school or rushing to therapy, or even out for your third iced coffee of the day, even though we know we're only supposed to have one, Lilybod has something for everyone. From the perfect core collection leggings that look amazing with a baseball cap to oversized sweats, tracksuits, the cutest cycling shorts and amazing rib tanks. I love it all. But what I love most about this brand is that their focus this year is to share the word around how physical health is just one part of the puzzle to feeling your best. They understand that mental health starts from within and I love that they're the brand that supports me as I navigate this beautiful thing called life. Whether I'm having a good day a bad day, or a I need to call my therapist day. Use code OPENHOUSE at checkout for 30% off. And if you're in our community area, you'll get a crazy 40% off too. Now, back to the main episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House podcast with me, your host, Louise Rumble, and today a very special co-host with me, Sarah Murphy. Today, we're going to dive straight into 
how anxious attachment isn't always in your head. So yes, a lot of it is in your head. And in episodes 38 and 39, we went into a lot of the conscious mind stuff with Dr. Terry around what is going on in your conscious mind when you are feeling anxious or going through an anxious episode. What came out of those discussions is people saying, oh, the slightest change in someone's body language or tone or even just seeing that they've gone online and then they've gone offline and they haven't replied to you can trigger this deep-rooted anxiety. And what we've seen a lot of the feedback from these episodes, myself included, is this like deep frustration at living with an anxious attachment style because yes, you can understand that it's something that isn't your fault. You're not actively doing it. It's your body is doing it. It was given to you a very long time ago. But what I found so much more helpful for me to be able to be compassionate with myself was actually understanding like the biology of how this happened, how this started and how it was shaped. So I'd love for you to share with us a little bit more around what was actually happening to develop this attachment style that now we feel like haunts us for the rest of our lives. Yeah, for sure. So what people don't realize is that our anxious attachment styles are basically formed when we are babies and our early life experiences, even experiences in utero when our mother was carrying us, are everything on how our nervous system is shaped today. So basically, when we are a baby, we instinctively knew who our mother was. So she shaped our nervous system and she was our survival. We were dependent on her. So you know when a stranger would pick us up and then all of a sudden we would immediately cry? This is something that we call neuroperception. And we are all born with this neuroperception. It's basically the ability to scan our environment for danger. If our mother was emotionally attuned, she would pick us up and she would soothe us. And so basically her five senses were were what made us feel loved and it was familiar to us. So basically it was her smell, her touch, her voice, her warmth. This put us back into our parasympathetic state when the environment around us was scary. The issue is that many of us were raised in homes where our mother was distracted and maybe she was overworked or traumatized herself and she wasn't able to support or understand our own emotional needs. And because of this, our neuroperception became faulty. Even the most minor moments of, let's say, one of your parent figures had to leave for work for two weeks. And I know a lot of parents right now are sleep training, but a lot of that can shape a baby's nervous system with letting the baby cry and not being able there to support the baby in times of that emotional need. The smallest things can affect the nervous system of the child. So basically, we don't feel safe. Everything on the outside becomes Becomes fearful to us. We cannot soothe our own bodies. Then this will come up as overreacting and underreacting to certain external situations in our life. We don't react to situations as they are. We react to our own internal state. So a lot of the times, if we can't self-soothe, this is basically nervous system dysregulation. We cannot soothe our own bodies. So in this state, our thoughts and behaviors are then all of a sudden run by our limbic system, like I was mentioned earlier. So Our limbic system is our emotional part of the brain. We become reactive to things where we normally shouldn't become reactive to. So the way we are treated as babies has a physical impact on our body and our attachment styles. And the point that you made earlier about your mom being super stressed also plays a big role on our stress hormones as a baby. 
if we are bathed in cortisol in the mother's womb, basically our stress hormones react differently. So we're more prone to higher stress levels throughout the rest of our lives. So my question for you there is someone who has a secure attachment style, does that mean that they have a more solid foundation of their nervous system? It's more prone to being regulated. It's less likely to be dysregulated. So you are less likely to jump into fight or flight easier. Is that kind of what's happening when you're anxious, you're more likely to go into fight or flight? That's because your nervous system is dysregulated. But a secure person, they're less likely to get dysregulated. And that's why they're just a little bit more stable. Is that kind of how it works? Exactly. That is so interesting. So what is happening in that moment when you get triggered? So basically, fear is a typical marker for our nervous system arousal. So our fight or flight response, we go into this protective mode. So all of a sudden, it's like we're running from a tiger. When your body detects danger, it immediately sends a distress signal to the hypothalamus, another part of our brain, which is involved in our stress control. So once this alarm has been sounded, the hypothalamus triggers the sympathetic nervous system, at which point your adrenal glands, these little glands on top of your kidneys, they start to pump out adrenaline. So that's one of the major hormones that's pumped out during this stage. And all of a sudden, our breathing gets affected. Our blood pressure starts to go up. Our muscles get really tense. And not only that, we also become more alert and our senses sharpen because we get all this extra oxygen to the brain. Again, go back to the theory of we're running from that tiger. Our body is in danger. So these changes happen so rapidly that they may come into effect before we can even process what's happening. And a lot of the times this can actually trigger a panic attack in some people. Ah, okay. So it's really interesting to see that the way that you started opening there was talking about fear. So basically everything comes back to fear, right? That's the fear is the message that gets sent to the brain. And I think as we discussed in episodes 38 and 39, a lot of the conscious fear is like, oh, fear of rejection, which we all know ties back to the cavemen days because it was if you got rejected, you'd be like left out from your tribe on the savannah, the Sahara, whatever it's called, and you basically would die. So rejection equaled death. I guess that's the same thing with like fear of abandonment. So it's so interesting to know that when we go into that mode, and I call it like crazy bitch mode, because in that moment, I want to ring you a hundred times. I want to drive to your work to find out why you're texting me back. It's just good to know that that is actually driven by the adrenaline. And you just said it, it happens so quickly that you can't control it. So I think my question for you is like, when do you feel like you're going to die? How long does it take for those hormones to start to calm down? Because I think then we can start to understand or make a plan for that period with the awareness of being like, okay, I've been triggered. This is going to last this long. Let's do something different during that period rather than go and burn down their house. Yeah. So basically it all depends on how dysregulated your nervous system. When our brain stops detecting a threat, the parasympathetic swoops in and it will put brakes on our stress response. And this will calm our body and calm us down. So like the average person, it will take maybe 20 to 60 minutes for their body to return to its normal state. And when this starts happening, our hormone levels, the oxytocin, the natural opioids, they swoop in and they basically lower the cortisol and the adrenaline starts to drop. But the problem with anxious attachment style is that 
when our nervous systems are dysregulated, we cannot easily calm down. Our body stays in that state. Any anxious state of having an energy jolt that is not able to complete the loop throughout the body so that stress stays within the body and it keeps us in our sympathetic dominant state. So basically, it's the exact same thing, anxious attachment, any type of anxiety. So the dysregulated nervous system, no matter what, whatever reason it's dysregulated for, will cause us to respond to thoughts and feelings and behavior in inappropriate ways. So sometimes we overreact, you know, we go into these rages, just like you said, Louise, but then uh, even some people will underreact. And that's also dealing with nervous system dysregulation. So at this point, our brain and our body went under these constant stresses, under trauma, extreme stress, whatever situation, we're not able to enter that rest and digest state. So we're stuck in fight or flight. And this, you know, can cause a lot of issues. So I guess I'd love to ask a couple of questions and have a chat around in those moments when someone feels like they're getting triggered, like their boyfriend's online and they're not responding or they feel like that slightest change in body language. Because we discuss like it goes straight to the brain. It's not conscious. The fear is driving the reaction. What advice can we give? And I know we're going to go in deeper into this in the more episodes we do, but from just like a very high level If that was you, if something was triggering you, what would you do in those moments? Because I think people also love like personal experiences. So maybe you could share what you would do and I could share what I would do. Okay. So personally, for me, it's reconnecting with my body because we are disconnected with our body at those moments. So it's basically taking deep breaths and feeling these deep breaths actually in my body and putting a hand on my chest. And this actually can really help you get back into your parasympathetic nervous state because it sends signals to your brain and the body that there is no actual emergency that's happening. When we're all anxious, we start having very, very shallow breaths. And this can make us even more anxious because it cuts off the oxygen. Um, We become, it's called something called hypoxic. You know, people with an anxious attachment style from an early on learned how to breathe with the way their mother's nervous system was regulated. So if the mother was dysregulated and her breasts were shallow, the baby would take on the same breathing. And we see a lot of things. I was actually just reading a huge study the other day about children growing up with asthma. And this was actually associated with the mother's dysregulated nervous system and basically the baby mirroring that nervous system and then the child grows up with asthma and you know that you the child might grow out of the asthma but being able to breathe properly is a huge huge issue wow that is crazy yeah you know your breathing is again that's how you regulate and if you've been shallow breathing your entire life no wonder that you're anxious because your breath is everything to the nervous system that is fascinating that I think we all need to bring light to how we're breathing because it's also so dumb if someone says like to you oh you don't breathe properly it's what do you mean like I'm alive of course I breathe properly but actually understanding like breathing properly yeah so it's basically breathing into the diaphragm your first breath very very deeply so that the rib cage can expand and focus on a very strong exhale so there's a there's a way you can do this and If you repeat that three to five times, it can really help to reinstate neurophysiological calm in the brain and in the body. And another thing that we were talking about was like the 30 to 90 second rule. 
So I'd love it if you could just tell everyone a bit about that, because I think that, like we said, when you get triggered, you want to start like hammering them with question marks on WhatsApp, or you want to be like, you're thinking, oh my God, he's going to dump me or, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. I'd love it if you could just tell us a tiny bit about the 30 to 90 second rule and what that means and how we can put it into practice if you're feeling triggered. Basically, when we experience an event or, you know, a conversation or something that gets us triggered, there's this initial biochemical and electrical surge that lasts 30 to 90 seconds when our unconscious and our conscious mind is adjusting and processing this information. This is when we tend to react impulsively. You know, we're reacting from our limbic system. It's the emotional part of the brain. We're not reacting in a proper manner. So instead of responding right away, practice taking about 30 to 90 seconds to help reinstate and calm our brain and our body. So you aren't actually reacting in that impulsive state. And it takes you out of, you know, coming from the limbic system and reacting in a way that you really wouldn't want to react. Oh, understanding that 30 to 90 second rule, I think is so important because that's such a manageable period of time. Like we're not saying, oh, you have to go and do 35 minutes of meditation to come out of this anxious attachment trigger. What we're actually just saying is just commit to 30 to 90 seconds. Just really holding yourself to make sure that you don't act impulsively. And that's such like a reasonable period of time that I think we can all commit to and say, it's 90 seconds. You cannot text him or her for 90 seconds. Like we can do that. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's going to be very hard for people who've been breathing shallow their whole lives. You know, if not, it feels physically painful. When we realize how important that deep breath is and how that could actually stabilize our nervous system, it's basically a game changer. So I would recommend that. I wasn't breathing properly for most of my life. And I actually worked with an amazing breathwork coach. Her name is Amy. She, it's basically life-changing. So when we start to breathe properly, we can actually get emotional because we're actually manipulating the energy in our body. They let go of so much stagnant energy in our body that we've been holding on to that we don't even realize have been affecting us on that physical level. So it can feel emotional and painful. And once you pass the point of it feeling unbearable, it's like a release, moving the body and doing something physical, anything physical to really just shake that energy out. Um, you know, I would also recommend even just yelling into a pillow or, you know, any type of manipulation where we are moving that energy out of our body, where it doesn't get stuck in that cycle. There are so many things that we can do in terms of quick fixes that can help us put us back into our parasympathetic state. So box flower remedies are these remedies that come from flowers, basically the essence of a flower. So every flower carries a vibration. This comes from a study of medicine called homeopathy. Everything carries vibration. Everything carries, you know, our entire world is made up of vibrations. And flowers actually carry very healing vibrations. Bot flower remedy comes from flowers and basically they make these remedies. I know it sounds very out there, but bot flower has different types of remedies for different issues that you're going through. So whatever is in your personality trait, let's say anxious or depression or any type of thing that you're going through, box flower has a remedy for those issues. Again, there are other things, essential oils, your 
completely right. Lavender is amazing. It basically gives us, it puts our body again into our rest and digest state. Very, very good for stress. There's other things like ylang, ylang, which is another essential oil, very good for stress. Citrus actually is really good for stress. Sucking your thumb, basically that stimulates the vagus nerve. And that's another episode that we can get into, but our vagus nerve is this nerve that runs throughout our entire body and it can help control our fight or flight response and it can get distorted and there's ways to support it that when we don't have good vagal tone, we will go into fight or flight or not be able to calm ourselves as well as someone who would have a better tone in this nerve. Again, something you will go into. But when it comes to rocking, it's also a somatic practice. And that, again, comes back from childhood. It's very, very good to calm the nerves. And it just brings us back into, you know, back to how we would have been supported from our mother. So there are different types of movements that we can do with our body that can also make us feel calm and get us out of those states for sure. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things that I ever read was The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. I know we've spoken about it loads. I mean, there's two examples in the book. The first one is a very simple one, which is that if you see, say you go on a safari and you see an animal that was about to have been killed or preyed upon, it will freeze in that moment to basically like keep it alive. And then it will shake aggressively. And I think that ties back to what Sarah was just saying around Our body needs to complete these cycles of the emotions that are running through our body. It can complete the cycle. Often in in animal land, you do that through the shaking, like the getting it out of your nervous system. And then if you look at an animal, they're, they're off, they're up, they're off, and they're back on with their day. I think that the second example from his book that really stuck with me was that, I don't know if it was him or if it was like someone else, but in a war zone, They put 10 adults and 10 kids in a bunker underneath the ground because there was like a wall going on. And all of the kids were like shaking. They were like crying. Their teeth were chattering. You know, the same movement that we were talking about. But he looked at the adults and they were just frozen. Yeah, it's the big thing is, is that in society today, we've really forgot to feel our emotions. We are meant to co-regulate with other humans and community and having safe people to talk to is one of the most important things that we can do for nervous system regulation. When we don't feel seen or we don't feel heard, that is shameful and that is a stressful event that we can go through if we don't have any community or authentic friendships. When I talk about someone who's stressed or anxious all the time, that is the one thing that I ask them, you know, who is in your life that you can trust and who you can be authentic with and who sees you? Because if you don't have those types of people, that's a huge thing. And there's so many studies out there that they actually relate uh, not having community or feeling loneliness to smoking cigarettes, to smoking a pack a day. So that's how much it can affect our health on the physical level, feeling loneliness and not having people around us to talk to. Are there any other final super hot tips and tricks from you on what to do if you're feeling that you're going to get triggered? I mean, again, um, 
there's those in the moments or there's those, you know, calm your nervous system on the regular that we can be doing things every single day, supporting our bodies with healthy diet, which is very critical because someone who's dealing with blood sugar dysregulation, people who are under a lot of stress always have blood sugar dysregulation. If you're not eating to support your body during that, your blood sugar spikes are actually going to cause more anxiety and more dysregulation in the nervous system. When we're, when we're under a lot of stress, we deplete all our minerals and those actually are crucial for a working nervous system. So we want to help replenish that. We'll talk about obviously the nutrients and stuff in another episode, but nutrients to the cell, which will be able to regulate a nervous system and more quick fixes again taking Epsom salt baths, doing that anytime that you feel stress. In an Epsom salt bath, there's magnesium and a ton of minerals that we actually need to replenish our bodies. We could do a whole episode on magnesium and the types of magnesium and what they're good for. Magnesium is the number one mineral that we need to support our nervous system. Magnesium is basically responsible for activating 3,750 enzymes in our body. And that means that without magnesium, our bodies fail. And magnesium is the first thing to go when we experience high levels of stress. People who are under stress are severely depleted and that's going to affect the nervous system, the way they think, the way they react, the way they deal with stress. Everything to do with how their body is actually coping with the stress is affected with depleted levels of magnesium. And there are different types of magnesium. The one magnesium that's actually specific to the nervous system is magnesium L-threonate that actually crosses the blood-brain barrier. Really, really good for anxiety and depression and any type of mental state. But I actually recommend everyone being on multiple forms of magnesium. And that's because during stressful periods, all areas of our body that are affected. So our muscles, magnesium is amazing for our muscles. And you know, under stress, our muscles get tense and we have to replete that magnesium. So there are a ton of different magnesiums and we need multiple different forms. And that is actually the number one mineral for anyone under stress, anxiety, anything that it's stress around the body, you definitely need magnesium. Okay. Amazing. That is so helpful. And what we'll do is we'll link again, some of these in the show notes that are Sarah's recommendations. I know that we're going to do a whole episode on the nutrients that you need for a healthy nervous system and how deficiencies in vitamins and minerals can tend to make that dysregulation worse. You have so much information to share with the world. You are an absolute goldmine of science and holistic backed info. So we're definitely going to share all of that with everyone listening. But I think for now, we've just gone on an amazing journey here, which is understanding what nervous system dysregulation is and how we get pushed into that and how the foundations of our nervous system got laid from a young age and then show up as our adult nervous systems. And I think you so clearly communicated to us that it's in the moments of fear that it drives us into these reactions. So I think that conscious talk therapy is so good for understanding what those fears are and understanding where they came from. And then I think that the information you've given today is like the other side of the jigsaw. That's what you and I feel so passionate about, that there's more to traditional therapy than meets the eye. And that there's just so much more for us to share together. So thank you so much for your time. We've been wanting to do this for a really long time. I am so grateful for your time. And if anyone wants to contact Sarah, we're going to put her details in the show notes, as well as all of the product recommendations. 
Yeah, thanks, Louise, for having me on. And I'm just so glad that I can start spreading this information because like you said, talk therapy shows you that there's something there, but being able to move those emotions and actually recognize how they are working on the physical body is a whole different level. The two complete each other. So I'm just really glad to start getting this information out and again, be part of your podcast. Yes, you are amazing. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next episode. Bye. Bye.